0: In our Bible class this morning, we studied the subject of heaven in our quarterly, and we had some good discussion and some very good comments on that subject. Tonight, I'd like to continue that theme. I don't think we can talk too much about heaven and the effort we need to be making to prepare to one day have that as our eternal home. How many people really long for heaven? How many in the church have a burning daily desire, a burning daily desire for heaven? Tonight, I'd like for us to think for a few moments about how to enjoy heaven. How can we enjoy heaven? We mentioned this morning in our Bible class discussion that heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. In John 14, 1 through 3, of course, the text at which we looked this morning, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places, as we discussed it this morning. If it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also." And so one must prepare one's life before being ready to enter heaven. You know, it's really impossible to enjoy something for which you have no capacity to enjoy. There's some people who are avid hunters. Others have never hunted and have no desire to hunt at all. Same would be true of of fishing or golfing or sewing or cooking or any number of things we could name. If you really don't have any interest or capacity for enjoying that, engaging in that is not going to bring you any pleasure at all. And I'm afraid that many in our world today live in a a dream world, so to speak, having a false concept of life after death. That is, they think that one undergoes some sort of miraculous transformation of character after one dies. Those, for example, who had not really developed their love for God in this life, imagine that suddenly when this life is over, they have been endowed with a great love for God, even though they didn't spend time developing that love and maturing that love in this life. By the same token, those who have an appetite for the sensual, for the worldly, are suddenly believed after this life is over to have developed a great spiritual appetite and to long for spiritual things, even though they didn't long for those spiritual things in this life. The point is that unless one is prepared for heaven, he will have no capacity whatsoever for enjoying it. To enjoy heaven, one must do certain things to prepare himself for that eternity of spiritual delight. Think with me for a few moments about what those things are. They're really pretty obvious, I think. One must, first of all, have a love for spiritual things. One must have a love for spiritual things. Love for God. You know, that phrase, I love you, I love you, that's filled with meaning. When we love someone, we love to be in that person's presence. We want to do everything we can for that person. We want to spend time talking with that person. And one cannot imagine a husband saying to his wife, honey, I love you, but I won't be home tonight. No, he wants to be home if at all possible. He wants to be with her. John reminds us that we love God because he first loved us. And that love has to be developed. That love has to be matured over a lifetime. And so love for God, love for the Bible, Psalm 1, 1 and 2, how familiar those words are to us. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, listen to it, he meditates day and night. Our love for the Bible is evidenced by our study of it by our knowledge of it, by our obedience to it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, Jesus said in that great Sermon on the Mount, which we have just finished studying, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's a hunger and thirst for the Word, has to be. And what about love for the cross of Calvary? contemplation of the cross and the love for what took place there and the sacrifice that occurred there. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In that same Galatian letter at chapter 6 and verse 14, Paul put it this way, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. By whom the world has been what? Crucified to me. I put it to death. I to the world. And Paul reminds us in another passage in Romans chapter 5 verses 7 and 8 for scarcely he writes for a righteous man will one die yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us and then the same writer in first Corinthians 1 18 expressed that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but not to those who are being saved. No, to those who are being saved, what is it? The power of God. Oh, how we ought to love the cross in the sense that we love the sacrifice that took place there and the love behind that sacrifice. We're to have a love for Christianity. The Christian is to love the name he wears, the responsibility he bears, and the souls for whom he cares. In Titus eight, in going through those qualifications for the elders, Paul writes to Titus, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, and oh yes, We're to have a love for the church. The Apostle Paul before the Ephesian elders at Miletus when he called them to himself there said, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit or among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Paul admonished husbands in Ephesians 5.25 to love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We sing, I love thy kingdom, Lord, the house of thine abode. We should serve in the kingdom, love it, and serve in it loyally and lovingly and never disgrace it. If there's no appreciation for spiritual things, here, we'll never enjoy heaven. But secondly, we must enjoy obeying God if we're going to enjoy heaven. I said enjoy obeying God, not just obeying God, but enjoy obeying God. I think back to that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 45 through 47, and we've looked at it before, where Moses was setting before that second generation of Israelites about to enter the promised land, the blessings and the curses that would await them depending upon their actions and their attitudes. And he said this to them, as recorded in verse 45 of chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep His commandments and His statutes which He commanded you, and they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder, and on your descendants forever. Listen to verse 47. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. You'll be cursed, he writes, or says to them as recorded here. In one of his great speeches there before them, he says, You'll be cursed not only for not serving, but for not serving with joy and gladness of heart. In other words, God wants you to enjoy serving him. He wants us to enjoy serving him. We know that man is unable to guide himself spiritually. Jeremiah reminded us of that in Jeremiah 10.23 when he said, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his steps. And the role of man in Christianity is obedience. God commands, man obeys. God authorizes, man complies. God demands, man submits. Obedience is enjoined upon us. Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, Matthew 7:21. Jesus asked in Luke 6:46, "But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say?" James tells us, "But be doers of the word and not hearers only. deceiving yourselves, James 1:22, "But what is our attitude toward the role that we are to play in Christianity? Do we really enjoy obeying God? Really enjoy. Do we delight in submitting to His authority? Do we derive pleasure from His guidance? If not, we will not enjoy heaven. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount again at Matthew 6.10, part of the model prayer, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is done in heaven, no question about it. The Christian's prayer and the Christian's determination is to do God's will on earth. And the Christian should find delight in doing just that, delight in service. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 40 and verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God and your law is within my heart. What a statement. I delight to do your will, O oh my God, and your law is within my heart. And Paul in Galatians 5.13 said, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty only. Do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but listen to it. But through love serve one another. Notice, through love serve one another, not just serve one another, but through love serve one another. And thirdly, if we're going to enjoy heaven, we must enjoy worshiping God. It's not simply something we do because we know we have to do it. We must enjoy worshiping God. Listen to the words of Revelation 4, 8 through 11. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne. And worship Him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. What an expression of exaltation of the God of heaven and the joy associated with expressing that praise and offering that worship. Yes, the scenes of heaven show throngs, throngs gathered around the throne of God to praise Him, to glorify Him, to worship Him. You know, it really would be difficult to overly emphasize the importance of worship in God's plan. Be very difficult to overemphasize it. It is so vitally important. From the very beginning, man has worshiped God. From Genesis to Revelation, there is one outstanding characteristic mentioned of every great man of God. What is it? Faithfulness in worship. Following the establishment of the church, the first things said about the first Christians had to do with what? Worship. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. But you know, even then, some did not enjoy their worship. And the Hebrews writer admonished them in Hebrews ten twenty five, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together together as is the custom of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. There were some who were falling back, some who did not see the value and the significance of meeting with their brothers and sisters to worship the God of heaven and to gain strength and encouragement from one another. What is our attitude toward the assemblies? Do we look forward To Sunday, do we look forward to Bible classes? Do we enjoy every act of worship? How often have we sung the song, Sing to me of heaven. We've got to make sure we really want to be sung to (laughs) about heaven, that that is our earnest desire. Sing to me of heaven. Let me hear more about heaven. Worship ought to be an overflow of a heart, full of love and not just a matter of duty you know if we attended every service four of them per week we would spend 14,500 hours in such activity in an average lifetime what a tragedy what a tragedy it would be to spend so many hours in a life without enjoying what we're doing what a tragedy! Fourthly, if we're going to enjoy heaven, we must enjoy the fellowship of the saints, because heaven will involve fellowship. In Matthew eight eleven, Jesus said, "I say to you that many will come from east and west, and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob." in the kingdom of heaven. That's the eternal phase of the kingdom. In the eternal phase of the kingdom, in other words, in heaven, there will many who will come from the east and the west. And they'll sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You know, that ought to really just send chills up the spine of faithful children of God to anticipate sitting down, as it were, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so many others of those great heroes of the faith in the eternal phase of the kingdom. Remember what Paul reassured the Christians at Thessalonica about in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17? Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, those who had died, in other words, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's fellowship. He was saying, your loved ones who've died, you haven't lost them. They haven't lost you. That fellowship is going to continue. It's going to be renewed. And when it is renewed, it'll be forever. And that was a great incentive that Paul offered those brethren. Great comfort. In fact, verse 18 ends with, therefore comfort one another with these words. What words, Paul? Words that remind you that fellowship is going to be one of the sweet, sweet blessings of eternity in heaven. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Oh, what anticipation we should feel for that grand reunion with the faithful of all the ages. What's your attitude toward fellowship Do we look forward to being with our brethren? Do we take advantage of opportunities to be together? Our attitude should be like that of the early church, always. So continuing, what? Daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Paul had to rebuke the Corinthian brethren on one occasion when he said, In giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Then he said, for first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. He's saying, when you come together, there should not be divisions. There should be that sweet, precious fellowship, the foretaste of the fellowship of heaven. You know, as we close our thoughts tonight... If you don't enjoy engaging in the things we've discussed, we won't enjoy heaven, will we? In fact, God will not subject those who do not enjoy these things to the unpleasantness of it. And tragically, we'll miss heaven. Why? Because we really do not love the Lord, enjoy doing what we love, and being with those we love. But you know even if a person would enjoy these things, there still has to be obedience to the gospel before the enjoyment can mean anything. There are a great many people in the religious world tonight who are enjoying being together. I do not doubt it at all. Enjoying it tremendously. But who are still outside of Christ because they've obeyed the doctrines and commandments of men, tragically rather than the commandments of God. And so belief in Jesus that leads one to repent of sins, confess him as the Christ and be buried in baptism is absolutely essential. That plan is for us to be in a position to enjoy all these other things we've talked about tonight, to prepare ourselves for heaven. And we need to make sure that even if we've done those things that are outlined in scripture that we must do to become his children that we never never fall back as it were to an attitude of mind that says I really don't enjoy what I'm doing but I know I have to if I'm gonna go to heaven that attitude in itself will prove to be our spiritual undoing and we can prove that from an example in scripture to the church at Ephesus The Lord said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. What commendation! But it's followed by this condemnation. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That's a chilling and sobering condemnation. A sobering and chilling reminder that we must ever, ever apply ourselves to those things that will intensify our enjoyment of the spiritual things here so that we'll be prepared to enjoy them there. Because if we find ourselves at any point in our lives as Christians simply going through the motions without the love that prompts those motions or actions then we are no longer pleasing God as God wants us to please Him. So let us ever apply ourselves to the enjoyment of the things about which we've spoken tonight so that we'll be fully prepared to enjoy them forevermore. What about you tonight? Have you brought your life into harmony with the will of God? If not, you cannot begin to enjoy these things about which we've spoken tonight But if you'll obey the gospel of Christ, you'll rise from a watery grave of baptism cleansed by His blood to walk in newness of life with an unspeakable joy and a peace that surpasses understanding and a love that hopefully will continue to deepen and grow as you continue to feed upon those things that will bring that love to a maturation and continue to grow even beyond that maturation point. Because our love for God, for Christ, for the Holy Spirit, for the church, for all these things about which we've spoken, should grow every day. Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians was that they would increase and abound in love. Increase and abound in love. And that's what we must do. That's what we're privileged to do. And oh, how joyful we will be as we continue to apply ourselves to that very pleasant task of growing in love. Tonight, if you need to come home to your first love as a wayward child, whose love has diminished, whose love has turned to duty more than love, and whose motivation is not where it once was, as the Lord who loved the Ephesians, told them, repent. The Lord tells us if we're in that situation to do the same. As we stand to sing, if you need to respond, will you come?